Father's Day, the Constitution, different kinds of justice, and much more on this episode of Awesome Today. Awesome Today is a mostly daily show about stuff. Don't overcomplicate it. It's barely edited and sometimes offensive. Enjoy it and have an awesome today. Hello. Hello. And happy Father's Day. I said it before you could say anything Dang else. it. <laughs> I didn't want to have a happy Father's Day. <laughs> it's um, June 21st. Speak up. The microphone has to catch our voices. It's June 21st. It's a Thank Sunday. you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Sunday. Supposedly, we're recording it on Saturday, but happy Father's Day. (laughs) Thank you. And I actually have already received my Father's Day present. Indeed. And, and it is a delight. Thank you. Well, I mean, you asked for one thing. Well, I got you one thing. You asked me several different things and and I gave you feedback on a a deal and, and you listened. I did. And there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's a lot right about that. Thank you. And it wasn't a tie or socks. Would you, well, you were going to tell the people what you got? I don't know. I don't think so. I will tell them. <laughs> Wait, did we already talk about this? I don't believe we have. But okay. if we have, um, there's not that many people listening anyway. So <laughs> feel free to do whatever. So you asked for a couple of, you did give me some suggestions. Mm-hmm. But what I chose to get you, and I purchased for you on behalf of our children, who will never give you a good Father's Day present, is a fresh brand new bottle of your favorite cologne. Yes. It's called Eucharist, not Eucharist. No tea. Eucharist, it's by George F. Trumper. I'm guessing. I noticed that it's G-E-O period, and I was like, yes. surely. It's abbreviated. This is how those across the pond do things. Okay, good. In the centers for... Men's manliness and in the, history. In the circles of men's manliness, is Trump? would you just say Trumpers? Or do That's, people say George Trumpers? Most or? often it's referenced as Trumpers. Okay. And it's been, it's a cologne house and... It was, it was all the things. If you okay. go to, so, so there's not a ton of ways for men to self-pamper True. that are acceptable. Yeah. Because we all have, you know, whatever things that we have to live up to the standard of some random statements by some socially, by the they. Some socially constructed right. gender construct. So it's perfectly fine for a woman to have a mani-pedi, a, a makeup, a whole involved thing for hair and mm-hmm. all the things. And it's those are enjoyable, aren't they? Indeed they are. Well, men have some things, but they're... They've, they are slowly, some of them being taken away. Hmm. Historically, it would have been the sauna, which now is creepy as hell to set your naked balls down on another man's prior naked balls area. Wait, I mean, that's always been how saunas are, right? Yes, but they used to be a lot more popular. It used to be like the bathhouse sauna yeah. big deal before we were really beginning to become aware of things and STDs and some of the wonderful things of life. Right mm-hmm. now, it's like there's still, I'm sure, guys that, that do that, but it's just like not not so much. Okay, they're kind of falling alongside the they're they're 
maybe sleeve and sleeve with the death of the bathrobe. Okay. Which is also not that big a deal anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. There's cigars, which, oh, well, you know, now we're, we can get cancer from that and you have to be in a super, super special place to smoke the cigar. So that's waning and falling away. But all of this, all of this comes from a much older era. Um, and all of what I've currently set up to this point may be completely gibberish. Um, I was just k- killing time, maybe. I don't know. What I'm ultimately trying to get at is barbershop okay. experience. True mm-hmm. barbershop, not what you can get done at Sam's or Supercuts or whatever, but a true men's barbershop experience. This is a the equivalency for men of what... Like a spa day. Women, yeah, like a spa day for women. It's yeah. It's big time. Uh, and there's no shame in it there still. Yeah. There's there's no negative new connotation. That's, you can you can enjoy it without feeling guilty from anyone's perspective. You love a barbershop. I love a barbershop. Yes. Um, if I didn't have a beard, I would go in for a barbershop shave at least once a month, I promise you. Yes. And tied to that are these old classic scents, S-C-E-N-T-S, scents, not common sense. <laughs> different, different thing altogether. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure any... Man, woman, or child has any of that, including what? myself. Why? Okay, let's keep going. It's just... Yes. Uh, yeah. There um, we go. But yeah, these old scents. And so then you look to these old... Call them what you will. Fragrance houses, old barber shops, old whatevers. And this was an era of things made of quality. Yes. With actual essential oils rather than fragrance oils with care and detail and and all of that, which is not the modern day colognes and stuff, right? Exactly. And it, and that it could be a whole a whole experience. You could get a scent in a, a hair tonic and aftershave, a cologne, a yes. shave soap, uh, and all the things. And this is where Trumpers belongs. It's in that niche of just allowing yourself some modicum of spoilage before you go out to get kicked in the crotch all day at whatever it is that you do for a living. (laughs) And it smells really good and I'm selfish and I like when you smell good. So it's quality. When you smell it, it's like, this is richness from an era that I didn't think existed anymore. Yeah. And so just having that on from my perspective as a wearer of it, Mm -hmm. catching a, intermittent waft of it throughout the day yes. truly does lift my spirits. Good. It makes me feel a little bit better about me, mm-hmm. whether I'm neck deep in whatever problem or whatever else. So, yeah. I'm glad that it was a good and helpful and um, yes. appreciated gift for Father's Day. For Father's Day. All right. That was a lot of words. It's okay. Most of them. Again, probably without much value, and I'm okay with that. All right. Well, let's talk about dates in history. Okay. I think you got the first you one. You want me to go first? Yeah. I have the first one. It's yeah. along the teleprompter, a.k.a. laptop, is a long ways away. Yeah. Squinting. I only got the one eye. I cannot can read this. See. 1788. This is a big deal. This yeah. is a big deal. And I was really scrutinous today as I went through looking at what events to celebrate. There were a lot of things... There are some days where the list is short. It was a super long list. I don't know if it was because the list was long mm-hmm. or because I'm just kind of in a cantankerous mood in general. Mm. I was pretty much like, no, not good enough. And <laughs> not good enough for the office. Get out of here. But 
certainly worthy. 1788, the U.S. Constitution is ratified. Indeed. And I've kind of been, in the last few weeks, maybe even month at this point, on a revisit of things political. I hide from politics often because they're so yucky, icky. Mm -hmm. I don't like the stupidity of ignorance and selfishness that goes on. But some things that I've been consuming in media have caused me to go look. And truly, the U.S. Constitution is one of the most amazingly written documents. And yes, absolutely, as it was written originally, it excluded from the loose definition, which they would have said man. It excluded a lot of people, and that was wrong, and that, that got remedied later. But when you look at, when you can ignore that at first and just look and say, what did they secure? What did they demand in this document was the rights of people to be protected from other people, from other countries, and from the government itself? Wow. What an incredibly insightful, brilliant list of things that are like, yes, those are things that should be protected. Well, that's interesting that you've recently revisited it. Revisited it, it, it. Yep. Is um, that a subreddit? It is. Speaking of subreddits, today I found on Reddit there is a subreddit devoted to the show Ozark. Of course there is, I and was, it's a great show. <laughs> I was delighted and surprised by that. Um, anyway, I don't think I've looked at really truly the Constitution closely since eighth grade civics class. There is a lot of mayhem. There's like a circus going on upstairs. Let's pretend like it's not happening. If you guys can pretend like it's not happening, we will too. Okay. All right. My point of interest from history is that on this day in 1963, then Cardinal Giovanni Battista Mutini becomes Pope Paul VI. Not to be confused with Pope John Paul II. No. Different dudes. Totally. A lot of shared names. The Paul in there and the poping part and all of that. It can be confusing. Father, forgive him. He knows not what he says. I'm just kidding. That's Holy easy. moly. I feel like I need to now <laughs> take pro- producer powers and... You can edit that out. I'll You're let, the editor of I'll this. I'll edit you out. <laughs> and me. We'll just let everybody lean, lean that way. Just let everybody look at the back door. Where the dog scratched it. Yep. The big dog we don't have big anymore. Big bad dog. Okay. Um, but so think about it. 1963, Pope Paul VI, he comes into leadership of the Catholic Church throughout the world at a truly tumultuous time. Yes, this is in the this is in the heart of in America. And keep in mind the Pope isn't just for America. Right, of course. But in the heart of America, this is in the midst of civil rights and Absolutely. stuff going on. You've got the Cold War going on. There are, I mean, there are... Fast issues being deliberated and... Uh, Hell of a lot bigger than what to watch on Netflix tonight. Mm-hmm. Yes, truly tumultuous times. So Pope Paul VI notably wrote Humanae Vitae, an encyclical for the Catholic Church, basically saying, even though everybody else has taken up the practice of contraception, for we Catholics who uh, believe fundamentally that the marital act... <laughs> Yeah. That sex... Preach it! That sex <laughs> reflects... Uh, what is it? It is unity. It's 
it's unitive. Unitive. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. Mm -hmm. I knew that uni was in there. Um, that it is meant to be pleasurable for both parties and that it is always open to life. Mm -hmm. So he really shocked the Catholic world and the world at large with that encyclical. Also, Pope Paul VI um, calls for the Second Vatican Council, mm -hmm. which is huge for huge. modern and contemporary Catholics. Even still highly debated to this day. Certainly, there are still Catholics who are mad about it to this day. Um, it was very, you know, as converts, we are pretty big fans of the Second Vatican Council. One of the in, things, the, in the correct understanding of it, exactly. and that's the debates that go on exactly. with it now. The is, applications of yeah. it. One thing that came out of the Second Vatican Council is the freedom for churches to uh, say the liturgy, for priests to say the liturgy in the common vernacular. Yeah, uh, transitioning away from the Latin, if you want to. Uh, to the vernacular of where you are. And so that is why we can go to Mass and hear everything, for the most part, in English. Indeed. And so, so yeah. But what would it have been if it wasn't English? Latin. Latin. Yeah. And that's... This is where, to expound a little, you said, as converts especially, yeah. we can appreciate, if you haven't grown up learning Latin... right. Through yes. the Mass, through Catholic school, through whatever else, then the Mass could be just like, I don't I don't even know what I'm doing here. Right. Which is kind of confusing and maybe even threatening mildly. Right. So I appreciate deeply the ability in the common vernacular, which for me is English, to participate in the Mass. And at the same time, I feel compelled now that I understand what's being said, that I agree with it, all of that, I feel compelled to learn the Latin. Really? I really this do. This is news to me. I really do. Okay. Um, to to be more universal then. Yes. Because it's a lot easier maybe to just learn Latin than it is the however many other languages of the common vernaculars around the world. Sure, of course. And that's why Latin has been the unifying language mm -hmm. from the earliest days. Um it's interesting to me that you said that because I know sometimes you, in the past, have gotten a little bristly when our both our priest and then our director of music are very big liturgy nerds, which I appreciate. I love it. I love that they are. And so during the penitential seasons of Lent and Advent, our director of music who does the, I mean, he basically orchestrates the Mass. He doesn't say it, of course, but he switches um, a couple of the singing parts from mm -hmm, the English mm -hmm. into the Latin. And I feel like you've been a little yes, resistant to that. I have, but from the perspective that it makes me unable to fully participate because I don't, I'm not always a hundred percent sure how to pronounce the word. Now to their credit in the worship aid, the written document that we receive going in, there's always the English explanation for whatever it is yes. that you're saying or singing in Latin. Right. But my frustration is, is that I can't belt it out in Latin because I'm unsure as to what I'm saying. And certainly that's a reflection on me and not the church. And maybe even partially why I have this desire to learn the Latin, whether it's just during these seasons or again, just anywhere in the world, if I were to go to a Latin rite, church, regardless of language barriers, anything else, I could fully, robustly participate exactly. if I knew the Latin. Yes. Hey, I'm right there with you. Let's do it. Let's learn it. Let's learn Latin in our, our right. free time. Yeah. 
Yeah. In between uh, unitive acts of marriage, we'll learn some Latin. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe? Okay. I'm going to add one that's not on the page. Maybe a few more things. I didn't feel like there was so much from this chapter of the book that we're getting ready to enter into that it requires a ton of time. Okay. There were a couple other things that, that sparked a mild interest as I looked at facts from historical days. Uh, there was, there was, there was, there were several mentions, a couple mentions to be fair, two mentions, two, a couple. It's a pair, a duo. A duet. A duet. Within, I think it was a three-year time span, there were two different men uh, who set the world record in the 100-yard dash. Okay. And it listed their times. One of them had hit the 100-yard dash in 10 seconds. The other hit it in 9.1. And I have a weird memory pretty much always with things, but I'm thinking, wait. Usain Bolt's the fastest man in the world and of all time. And he was like, not like, he was exactly 9.58 seconds. Whoa. I did not know you could recall that like that. Yeah. I have some weird relationships with numbers. (laughs) I can recall that. I don't know what day it is. (laughs) Things, right? Not sure how old I am. That's all brand for you, for sure. Yeah. And I'm thinking, but that doesn't jive. And they'd mentioned this other dude. This the second dude in the hundred yard dash from I can't remember fifties sixties somewhere in there at nine point one seconds and I'm like the no it's not matching so I go look things up and in fact then it, it brought to the reality that there was a time where the hundred yard dash was the predominant thing but then there was a later time where the hundred meter oh, dash okay. became. Sure. The predominant thing, which is what is now. And okay. Usain Bolt does hold at 9.58 seconds the 100 meter, meter dash. Okay. Versus 100 yard. And anybody who knows anything about Usain Bolt, and I know just enough. I remember little little snippets. He is He's a terrible starter out of the blocks. Okay. Terrible. Yeah. But once he hits stride, it's like goodbye, everyone. Um. Literally in the world and in all of history. Yes. Current. Absolutely. So he does not hold the record in the 100 yard. He's also raced in that. That's still a thing. It's just not the international competition standard. Okay. He doesn't hold the record. He's third right now in that. There is another Jamaican who is first. Okay. And then as we mentioned the last time we recorded two days ago-ish, was that oftentimes in these history sites, we see some discrepancies here and there that you'd only recognize if you dug in. And whatever American from Kansas or in Kansas or something that had the 10.1, it was actually, I'm sorry, 9.1, was actually a 9.3 something, I think. So he's on the list. He's slower decades ago than, than Usain Bolt. But yeah, so that's... Interesting-ish, right? It is interesting. This is normally the time of the year when we'd be gearing up for it or watching the Olympics. Yes. Thanks to COVID, that's on the back burner. Things happen. Things happen. Worldwide pandemics happen. Was there another thing? This was in your brain. You tell me. I'm asking you. Know my brain. 
You've been married to me. Where's my brain? Where was it? Where, where where did I last see my brain? Where did you last see my brain? Would you drop in the pixie singing, Where Is My Mind? Ooh, it has nothing to do with today other than that it's an awesome song today and every day. Okay, but don't drop it in because that will get this video in trouble. Okay, yeah, I can't, I can't play it for you. <clears throat> now, I didn't do any prep ahead of time oh. to get the book open on my... You did not. On my Apple teleprompter. You are... Wildly unprepared for and this I'm not even 100% sure because numbers and me are no, you just said you had friends a... and foes. Okay. You have a love-hate re yeah. relationship Are we chapter 10 or 11? 11 is what we're uh, summarizing. Okay. And this is this brings us to the end of part three. Part three has been a couple, uh, what, five chapters? A yeah. bunch, yeah. On how did we get here. So this is the last chapter in part three talking about the quest for justice okay before we dig into this yeah so far mm -hmm. do you necessarily agree with all of the political perspectives of the author oh no not even definitely not all the political perspectives but also not even all of the conclusions they come to so you've presented this to the awesomes as a lie no this is a lie and in minecraft the cake is a lie Ask your kids. A select subset of people will understand that the cake is Ask a lie. Ask your kids, they'll know. The cake is a lie. It is a often repeated phrase around here. Um, no, but you know, I think it's important to say this. A couple of people have pointed out as they themselves have picked up the book. Um, you know, I find myself not agreeing with everything. And I mean, I think that's sort of the point of the authors here too, is that we should expose ourselves to things where we're like, hmm, that made me think. I don't agree with all of it, but it did make me think about this. Um, we picked this up, not because we saw Jonathan Haidt or heard him on something and we're like, we want to be Jonathan Haidt disciples right. or whatever. Right. There was no discipleship seekage. No, 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 no. Um, and Is also, seekage a word? Nope, but okay. that's okay. I just made just it a word. With it. It's fine. I'll call Miriam and then later Webster if I can't get confirmation through <laughs> Miriam. And we'll get this pushed through, ratified. And play Miriam against Webster. Indeed. Okay. Um, but seriously, we just, we heard him, you heard him and, and brought it to my attention, shared with me some things that he was saying that um, we're like, okay, that explains some things. About what? About how uh, we've gotten to where we are in our culture of what I, what the authors definitely refer to as safetyism, what I totally recognized as um, this shift away from, you know, kind of sparring it out with yeah. opposing ideas, turning into, no, I can't, I can't approach these ideas. I can't talk about them. They are too much for me. I can't, I, whatever. I, I would push further and say, I mean, that's, that's one perspective by itself is just, I can't. Mm -hmm. But what's really troubling is when, no, you can't. Oh, yes. You can't talk. That's right. And that's where things have progressed to. And, and so not to, I'm not trying to overwrite your commentary. Mm -hmm. Am I okay to talk? Yes, it's fine. But I think that's a good point is that you're saying it's not just our own interaction with it, but that our culture has become so sensitive. Like you can't talk about this. You can't talk at all. Um, really just like such a change in the way discourse used to happen. And this is something that we have talked about on Sort of Awesome. We've talked about in the Hangout group. We've talked about in various places is discourse not being what it used to be. Well, it's used not to, at all now. Right. That we used to be it's able... soliloquy now. Yeah. We used to be able to have um, 
invigorating discussions where maybe people got mad and, you know, like passionate. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be like civil. Like let's all sit at the table and nobody raises their voices. I mean, there was passion and there was heat and there was fire to it. But we were exploring lots of different conversational threads. I mean, I went to a tiny podunk, podunk college in Oklahoma as an English mm-hmm. major, and in more than one literature class that I was in, things got riled up as you have guys and girls discussing gender and in the text and you know like all of these different things and not just limited to gender but we got into passionate debates about the text that we were looking at and you kind of walk away feeling good like you can still be friends you can totally disagree right. on a thing and be like that was a really good conversation and, and right. be friends and let's go get pizza you know yeah or feel feel challenged enough to ask yourself well why do i believe this exactly yes is there a reason or is it just because somebody else said it and i was too young to argue at the time right exactly yeah so anyway all of that to say you know of course there have been things that popped up there have been things kyle been like that's bs i don't Mm -hmm. believe that i've not spoken that strongly on camera but there are some things that i've just been like i completely disagree with the with the perspective politically Mm -hmm. of the author but ultimately what i've appreciated is that the author is saying we're in an era right now where we cannot conversate seemingly Mm -hmm. and that that's really the most important things to do things to do is to conversate i had a grammatical faux pas please forgive me i will forgive you that no we need to hash things out together yeah and it's it's fine to have different opinions before during and after yeah um, Absolutely. And that we don't have to feel threatened, mm-hmm. which is where things have come. Right. We can be anti-fragile. Yes, exactly. And that was really powerful for me, too, um, because I kind of had also been formed by this culture to to see myself as fragile in some ways. Mm-hmm. That this book has challenged me to be like, but are you really? And, and it, like I said, one of these chapters early on was like therapy for me to be like, you know what? I don't think I am as fragile as I was in some of these things. You're not. You kick my butt regularly. Well, someone needs to. Indeed. So wrapping up chapter 11, the quest for justice, as we finish up part three, they're going to be talking next in the next section about like, what do we do with all of this? But before we get to that place, we're talking about quest for justice. I'm going to kind of skim and summarize some of these. Yeah. Because we're starting to move away from... Again, what spoke to us the most. Read the book yourself if you want and and grab what you do or don't want from it. Um, He points to basically everybody, every human being's political perspectives to some degree are going to be shaped by what they experienced during the most influential periods of their life. Yes, I forgot about that. Yeah. And so when you look at things that went on, you know, he's focused on this era from... 95 of things to really then 2015 in the college uh, era. But then that period from 2012 to 2018, things that went on within government, things that went on within the world that would shape political opinions. Yes. Um, I'm less concerned about that. It's less important to me. Right. And 
since I'm 50% of the conversation and you tend to agree with some of this, we're not saying it's unimportant. Yeah. We're saying we're just not that interested in talking about it. Right. And he really goes into some um, philosophical theory about the different ways that people approach justice, what that mm-hmm. means to different people. He goes really, the, I say he, the authors go really in depth into some different studies about human psychology. Now that, some of that is interesting to yeah. me. Okay. To you? Feel good. I, I. So you have distributive justice, which is the perception that people are getting what is deserved. Mm-hmm. You have procedural justice, which is the perception that the processes by which things are distributed and rules uh, are enforced is fair and trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And he, he does talk through uh, studies that are done with with kids because kids are innocent. Kids are unjaded. Yeah. All of that to say... If you just brought in a bag of candy and just said, here's candy, then then justice is everybody getting an equal mm-hmm. share of the candy. Mm-hmm. If there was something done to earn right. the candy, that at that age of innocence and, quite honestly, wisdom in many instances, that when kids realized that someone else did more... Mm-hmm then they deserved a greater share of the candy, even up to the point where it was difficult to realize that they might not get any. Yes. yes. That's interesting. Yeah. That pushes into stuff, I think, honestly, that goes far outside the scope of the book, though, in terms right. of totally. how that applies at a national level and things. For sure, for sure. Um, uh, let's see here. Well... Equity theory, uh, which states that things are perceived to be fair when the ratio of outcomes to inputs is equal for all participants. And that's really the culminating idea. Um, outputs to inputs being, we look at what each person did or wanted to pursue in terms of what outcomes were in reality mm-hmm. in that bag of candy or however you expand that. So, that's that is the place that ultimately people tend to end up in agreement upon, even if it's a begrudging agreement because they were missing out on some of the reward. They were begrudging it, but they allowed it because they realized, hey, in fairness, I didn't earn yeah. like this other person did. Right. Um, if anybody works in sales, which is a very eat what you kill reality, it's not comfortable often. Um, but you you do realize, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I did more, dang it, this month, and I I deserve the more. Give it to me, right? Uh, and and people reluctantly acquiesce to that. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if I want to talk about. He goes into social justice. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? I don't feel qualified to. I didn't really, really grasp and be like, yeah. No, I mean, I will admit that was some of this in many ways. Yeah, some of this was just I would, I'm going to say a little above my head. Maybe I just wasn't tuned in and were like really wasn't really landing with me. He does trace some of this into the idea of um, how college campuses students and um, that's kind of where uh, the concept of social justice and being like taking up causes for things um, began to come into play you know, social justice warrior has become a sort of derogatory label yeah. for people. But he does kind of trace the fact that um, for some of this, you know, people, again, good intentions, bad ideas, that there's 
um, these good-hearted pursuits of justice. Good intentions, bad ideas. Right. Um, And then especially, it really does tie back to this last chapter, too, about administrative, like the bureaucracy part of it. Yes, How good intentions for... Um, for everybody having equality, and they spend a lot of time talking about Title IX in this chapter, which you talked about briefly in our last video. It's such a beautiful example, and, and I actually went off on a lot of things in the last episode because of personal experience that I didn't realize he also yeah, was going to cover yeah. and bring additional stories to support. And I can honestly say what I shared was actually very very accurate and real. It could have been one of his examples because it yes. supports the perspective exactly. that through all of these things that when you run into a problem is when you insist upon equal outcomes. Yes. Rather than the equal opportunity. Equal opportunity has and to back up here in the notes, the, uh, the ratio mm-hmm. of outcomes to inputs. And as it applies to what I talked about in the last episode here, the the ratios were that there just simply are not, and this isn't a a statement to define anyone or force anybody into a box, it's just simply the number of females interested in sports in college is less as a ratio than is true for men. And so you can't come in with an equal outcomes perspective and actually be treating things correctly and fairly. You're not solving a problem, you're creating more. Right. And that's what I lived through in my early coaching experience was, yeah, this, and it felt wrong, but nobody could put a finger on it and say why. And so then each side would would go to whatever statements were groupist for their group, mm-hmm. which goes nowhere. Right. Because we, we lacked better language. We lacked better numbers and facts and things to go to. But I don't think anybody would disagree that, as evidenced by the studies that he goes to, nobody inherently disagrees with the idea of this equal input-output right. perspective. Yeah. yeah. You don't, nobody, nobody's out to deprive absolutely, as a whole, yeah, some people are individually out right. to screw people over. Um, but as a whole, I, I don't think, I don't believe because I don't see, I don't experience that the major groups are out to screw over any other group. It's just we're having a hard time speaking a common language That's what and I, sharing common sense. Yeah, well, I think that that is really what this chapter really drives home is that we're talking, we're starting to have different conversations mm-hmm. about what does equality mean. Yes. And so, and again, the author is being academics and experts in their field really draw in some things that I was like, I can track with them. I can understand what they're saying. At the same time, I don't know if I can explain it, but it is that idea that different um, people, different groups are going to experience and view equality in different ways. And then how you get there is going to look different. And then this is where some of the conversation starts to break down. So he looks to, and I I really personally enjoy this because I am, Oh Mathematical. I knew you were going to love this part. Statistician. I'm, I'm deeply rooted in this. This is who yes, I am. Yes, exactly. And not for any other reason than if I'm going <laughs> to go to all the labor to take action on something, right? I really want to. I really want to ensure before I put forth those efforts that the thing I'm taking action on, the thing I'm doing, actually has a chance to right. achieve the outcome that I'm hoping for. 
Yes. So he goes into this whole section, uh, the authors do, talking about correlation does not imply causation, mm-hmm. which if you have a statistician, stat, statistics nerd in your life. Yeah, you hate them? You, well, they even say that. The yeah. authors even talk about these people are like the killjoys at the party. They're like, yep. um, and this is Kyle. I'm going to need some. Yeah. <laughs> We're here. Yeah. Cite your sources. What are the stats? What are the facts to back this up? And it really can be frustrating. You and I have certainly gotten into some passionate discussions. We have. Over this, because I will say a thing, and you're like, that's an interesting thought now. How do you right. There's that? a and correlation. Like, I don't know. They just, it is. There's that's a correlation, and I'll celebrate the correlation, but it doesn't mean it's causation. Right. Now, they share a beautiful example that I enjoyed, and I believe this was a study done in Germany where they looked at... Um, the people who have more sex are more successful in business. Yes. This is a correlation. Yeah. Not a causation. Right. And so as they began to try to find causation, well, you know, there were a lot of arguments. Well, maybe it's that people that are more successful financially find themselves feeling a little friskier in general. Right. That could be. Where they finally landed as a true you could you could actually prove this factually looking through stuff through statistics that what they said was well there's actually a third factor here yes and that is that extroverted people are typically more successful in business and typically have more sex yes right and so then if you if you want to look at this from a political and lawmaking perspective if we wanted to make a law that allowed people to be better at business and you required all american citizens to have sex on a schedule you had you had the best intentions right <laughs> but the outcome may not have been what you expected right exactly so yes they do spend a lot of time as they're digging into these ideas about what does justice look like what is equal opportunity versus equal outcome really looking at just the fact that uh, we have to get serious about what, how we read statistics, how we read studies. Where this, to me, not that I know a damn thing, but to me where this bridges the big divide Mm -hmm. is to say, in reality, most conflicts that go on socially, politically, they're most often really isn't a disagreement about desired outcome. Right. Yes. I don't, I personally don't know anyone who gets up every day thinking, how can I hold down women? How can I hold down black people or Latinos or whatever else? So it's not, we're in agreement that no, this isn't a driving force. This isn't a purposeful thing that we're going towards. But then when we can't talk, and when we can't really look at things statistically, it's like, look, let's do something, but let's not go in blind. Let's not do something that could create more and new and different problems. Let's try to be very purposeful. Right. Let's look at numbers. Let's look at history. Let's look at other countries. Let's look everywhere. Because when you're, especially when you're talking about doing something at the national level, mm-hmm. this is going to have national and if I may be so bold as to stay from America's perspective, this is going to have international impact. Mm-hmm. So let's be careful. Yes. It and doesn't mean let's be slow. It means let's be careful. Exactly. 
And I think it does go back to their earlier discussion about shared common humanity. Mm-hmm. And like you said, when you cannot sit down and have a discussion where you realize like, this is what we all want. This is our yes. shared common goal. Then it's really hard to even know how to like um, in an empirical way, go about what does a solution look like? Right. So, right. yeah. Now we have two, one of two things that we have time for. Okay. And I'll let you pick hmm. because I trust you. Okay. We have the Camden police experiment. Okay. Which is something not mentioned in the book, but that we've, we've looked at extensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, in the, the preceding weeks, long before this started to become a repeat in the news headlines again, we also have my experience today with Eliza Joy and Daisy. Okay. Which do you think is more... Let's do that one. That one? Yeah. Because it's more impactful or because it's less dangerous? I think it's more impactful for me just... Okay. And I think that a lot of people can relate to a what this looks like in the context of even family life. Okay. I, and I would look at this... I don't, I don't often win as a parent in terms of not winning an argument because I can win those. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty crafty there. But... Winning in terms of feeling like we really communicated a thing that's going to help our kids be better humans. And so we just found out a few days ago um, that we are going to be able to fully attend church mass Mm -hmm. for us. And that's a huge thing. Um, Our daughters are servers. They, They help on a schedule. But we've always, we took the practice early in to say, we're going to go, server needs to dress a certain way Mm -hmm. so that they're not a distraction. And so we took the practice early in to say, hey, even if you're not serving, let's dress a certain way so that in the event that somebody doesn't show up, they're looking for someone to fill the gap that you can answer the call. Yes. And, and not be a distraction, all of that. It's, it's a service decision. Yes. Um, and they were on board with that. We didn't insist it. We suggested that they were on board with it. And so we have this very specific attire yeah. that's required. And in the COVID interim, since the last time we went, uh, AJ, who's a growing young lady, has outgrown her shoes. Yes. She needs a new pair of shoes that fit for that purpose. And as we discovered this, I was upstairs. Meg was downstairs with the girls. We're Meg and I are secretively conversating via text message over this. And so it's decided I'm going to brave the, the virus-ridden world <laughs> to get with a, with a daughter to get shoes. Mm-hmm. And Meg lets me know that AJ is, she's high stress. Mm-hmm. She's anxiety-ridden over an assumption of what kind of shoe I'm going to insist that she get. Right. We sort through that, where where the real, where everything begins to come together. As we were driving and even sitting in the car in the parking lot outside the store, I began to inquire because I saw this as an opportunity. I hoped it would be a real opportunity to begin to create some Mm anti-fragility to help point towards some things. And so I'd asked her, you know, it it seems like you felt maybe anxious and really uptight. Yes. Yes, she says. And I ask why. 
And I already knew. I mean, it, that's kind of the beauty of being a parent, yeah. especially on a team with two parents to say, you know, why? Even though I knew the answer. Yeah. And she said, you know, I, I just assumed immediately that you were going to require that I get this very specific type of shoe that I didn't want. I said, well, what was that shoe? And she describes it. And it's ridiculous to me. I would never have suggested that. But I'm not I'm not wanting to lose this conversation and learning opportunity, the strengthening opportunity. She was terrified you were going to insist she get a black ballet flat. Uh, you don't even yes. know what a ballet flat is. I don't literally. even know what it is to insist upon it. <laughs> don't even know. And so I'd, I'd said to her, so you, you'd made these assumptions, right? Yeah, yeah. And I said, so there's a few different ways you could go with this. You could just live in that assumption, which means you're living in anxiety and in fear. And probably as you interact with anyone else around you, you're, you're probably going to be a little assy. And she's like, yeah. And I used that word. Mm-hmm. It probably isn't the greatest parenting tip ever, but sometimes I run out of vocabulary. And <laughs> assy is a pretty good description for how she acts when she's like that. And she knows. And so she's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's accurate. That's true. I said, so, okay, another choice. You could have come upstairs and, and just like vomited out, dad, I don't want ballet flat slipper things, which would have at least inspired some conversation. And we could have talked through some things or from, from another book that we've read and shared with the kids that, that speaks to kind of a healthy way to participate in communication or negotiation, just to come up and say, dad, I'm, I'm needing some new shoes. What did you have in mind Mm -hmm. to put it out there, to get some definitions in place? And so we kind of role played that just for yes. funsies. And, and I'm, you know, we, we've done that enough that they're not too awkward about it. And so she, she plays along. Mm-hmm. And very realistically, I'm like, I, what are these shoes for? What purpose are they serving? She says, well, they're, they're for mass so that I have a thing. So I'm ready to serve. I'm like, okay, do you have anything in mind what that might be? She says, yes, show me a picture. She shows me. And it's a perfectly acceptable shoe because, after all, I don't even know what a ballet flat is, and I'm not fixated on that. <laughs> and I tell her, okay, um, we'll we'll try to find that exact shoe. If they don't have it, we'll we'll try to get as close as we can and pick what what you want that serves the purpose. We'll try to satisfy both need and want. Yes. And she's good. And anxiety and fear are gone. And then we took it one step further to say, okay, well, let's say then that I did know what a ballet flat was Mm -hmm. and in fact believed this is, this is what's required for this endeavor. And we have this conversation and I present it to her that way to say, you know, yeah, I know it's not what you want, but this is what we have to have to satisfy this instance of need. Then at the completion of that conversation, Asked her, now are you are you anxious? Are you fearful at this point? No. She she said, No, I'm not. So you didn't get what you wanted, right? But you're no longer fearful. And that's a big piece of fragility versus anti-fragility. It's it's finding ways to just step into the conversation. Right. It doesn't mean you're gonna end with what you want. Right. But you can move past the fear and the panic that that paralyze you that prevent any forward movement. And who knows, maybe 
Maybe I'm feeling generous that day and I see the disappointment of my daughter and I say, well, we have to get these ballet flats that nobody wants, but they serve a need. But maybe, you know, do you have another need? Do you need some just wearing around shoes and is there something else we could get? Maybe there's another solution. And as a dad who constantly craters to whatever it is his children want, <laughs> she probably would have ended up with both if that were the scenario. Yes. I don't know. I mean, maybe it fell on deaf ears. Maybe it was consumed or not. But that's that was a very real application of, of damn, just trying to help kids learn, trying to help us learn as adults even. Yes. To learn how to participate in the thing that originally felt debilitating. Yes. That, in fact, wasn't. It doesn't mean I get what I want. Right. But at least we can... We can be heard. Right. We can talk. We can logic through some things. Exactly. Exactly. I thought that was a really good thing and gave me a lot to think about for my own. For your own ballet shoes? Yeah. I I avoid things that cause fear and anxiety for me. I'd wear some ballet shoes. Well, let's see if we can find some in your size. We'll see. I feel like that was a passy-aggressy insult. Like, they don't make ballet shoes for your oafish feet and your hobbit toes with all the hair. Yeah. Uh, no. You see what I live with? Yes. I'm very difficult. You can just imagine. Yep. All right. It hurts. It hurts me. Right here. For those few of you who are watching, right here is where it hurts. In the hurt chamber. Yep. Right in the hurt hole. <laughs> All right. Our puppies are telling us our time is up. Yes, they are. Okay. I truly, truly hope, even though it's Father's Day, and I could claim the right of everyone insisting that I have an awesome today. I'm willing to not have an awesome day if it would mean that everybody else might. I hope that everybody else has an awesome today. Please do. Bye. Bye-bye. Hobbit feet and ballet flats are not the best pairing. Hobbits know this. Ballerinas know this. They've overcome the difference and managed to remain friends. <laughs>